This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Speaking of trying to create connections and innovate with your consumers, I'm happy to welcome our next guest. This is Soon Yu, author of a book called Iconic Advantage, Don't Chase the New, Innovate the Old. Soon is an international speaker and best-selling author on innovation and design who has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Entrepreneur Magazine, and many various other outlets. Soon, welcome to the program. Thank you. I, I just have to say that your opening for your show and the nicknames that you have are are just incredible, iconic signatures, and it's probably the best intro I've ever had to any talk show in the world. So, oh, uh, congrats, man! Thank you very much, Soon. I really appreciate the positive feedback, sir. I am so excited to have you on the program because you're doing some amazing stuff. Now, Soon, I have to turn to the book and jump into this and talk a little bit about exactly what it is that you have researched here and some of the key findings. This iconic advantage is a fantastic book. It challenges business from Fortune 500 to venture-backed startups to refocus, right, on innovation priorities, build greater what you refer to as iconicity, and offer deep insights on establishing these very, very timeless aspects of distinction and relevance. How did you get started on doing the research? How did you write the book? And, and, and just walk us through this process and give us some of these insights, and we're just hungry for them. Sure. Well, <laughs> Uh, like most things in my life, it began with uh, taking the wrong turn. <laughs> <laughs> and in this instance, it was a lot of wrong turns, meaning I've spent most of my working career, over 30 years, um, working in innovation, in marketing, in new products, and design, really trying to commercialize new ideas to the world. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I've had a lot more failures than I've had success. Uh -huh. And in the back of my mind was this sort of burning curiosity, thanks to all these failures, as to why certain businesses were so much better at commercializing new ideas than I was. <laughs> and so I started to sort of research that idea and that question, and I looked at over 50 companies, and I saw, wow, they were doing innovation, marketing, design, new products a lot differently than I was doing it. Okay. And in fact, I spent most of my life thinking, oh, new idea, new space, let's create something, wow. And I found that a lot of these companies, like the Nikes of the world, the Apples, the BMWs, mm -hmm. the Amazons of the world, mm -hmm. what they were actually doing was taking something that was already working, something that was already hugely successful, something okay. that they already had both channels, channel customers and consumers and clients who already loved them, okay, mm -hmm. and taking their shiny new ideas and instead of applying those shiny new ideas to shiny new spaces, they actually applied it to old dingy spaces. Okay? Oh, okay. To make their old dingy stuff more shiny. <laughs> and I said, wow, that's a really interesting concept. You Very know, cool. uh -huh. innovate your strengths, innovate where you already have momentum. But there was a challenge in doing that. Uh, the, the challenge was let's, let's take cloth. You bring in this, when we brought in a lot of bright people from Wharton, right? Mm -hmm. And in fact, some of my best friends are from Wharton. And, oh. and obviously, you bring them into the bleach uh, or to the Clorox family, and there's yeah. all these new spaces we could go after, uh -huh. uh, e.g., toilet bowl cleaners, right? But, <laughs> but then ask them, to ask them to work on the Mama brand and mm -hmm. do eight, uh, version 9.6.7 of <laughs> something that's been done for 100 years. Yes. It just isn't exciting for somebody right. or for anyone to sort of 
make their mark in an organization or be known for something. But clearly the companies like the BMWs of the world or the Nikes of the world or the Apples of the world, that's what they did. They brought in their best and brightest and had them take what was already working and make it work even better. Even better. And mm-hmm. here's, the, here's the big aha for me was not only were they doing this, but it made all the sense in the world because if you're innovating what you're already strong at, where mm-hmm. you already have market med- momentum, where you already have consumers and customers who love you, where you already have um, manufacturing lines that are already you know proven and capabilities internally that have already you know had the experience curve, the benefit of that experience curve, mm-hmm. you're going to be likely a lot more successful, a lot faster, and at the end of the day, a lot more profitable with all your innovation efforts. And uh, one of the big unknown secrets was Nike does this a lot. And you would think that this this idea of focusing what I call iconic advantage strategy mm-hmm. would be the one that would be a champion by, obviously, the product folks and the designers. No, instead, oh. the people that were the most excited about it were your CFOs and your supply chain folks. Interesting. And so, you know, if you're a marketer and you want to get money and you want to get <laughs> organizational support, right. follow this type of strategy of innovating the old. And, and so that's the aha moment. And the other thing I learned is that, you know, a lot of times I thought that these iconic franchises got lucky, meaning that they had the smarts and rode the right waves to be around long enough to become the standard bearer and have that longevity. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was luck. And I found out, no, in these companies, it's extremely deliberate. And so those were some big aha moments for me. Wow. Can you t- actually, cause I love this. So it, obviously this is where you got the name of the book, Iconic Advantage, Don't Chase the New, uh, Innovate the Old. Uh, where? Give us some specific examples of some some specific things that some of these companies did with their specific product that really sort of, you know that light bulb went off for you and said that was cool and this is a this is evidence of this very interesting approach which is to stay in your lane but to innovate in your lane in these kind of key areas that you have momentum soon sure sure you know so i I think the first thing we're trying to answer in the book uh, was kind of what makes anything iconic And, and to understand that then we could reverse engineer what were the oh. principles and best practices used to supercharge the qualities that make something iconic? And then, you know, which companies were doing that? And that was sort of the process we took. And when we looked across all these great companies, there are three things that really signify uh, iconic franchises, brands, and services. Gotcha. And the first is this. They are distinctive. There is something memorable, unique, um, differentiated about them that makes them stand out versus their competition. So mm-hmm. that's sort of quality number one, this idea of having something distinctive. Okay. The second quality is whatever that distinction is, that specific distinction is actually highly relevant. So the, the idea is relevant. Okay. It's highly relevant to the audience that they want to be iconic with. Now, the key on this rev- uh, relevance is that you actually want to be timelessly relevant. You want gotcha. to be relevant yesterday. You want to be relevant today. And obviously, you want to be relevant in the future. Gotcha. So does that, mean, have, does that mean to avoid like tr- um, fads and trends like that, Zoom? Yes. Gotcha. Absolutely. Because the goal in order to get – so you add in the third quality, which is they had universal recognition for their – Rel, uh, their relevance for that distinction. Once mm-hmm. you have those three combined, if it's timeless, then you have longevity. And through longevity of having recognition for your distinctive relevance, you become the standard bearer for that distinctive relevance. And when you reach that standard bearer level, 
that's when you reach iconic status. Uh So it was distinction, relevance, and recognition, and doing that over time is what created um, this idea of iconicity. Interesting. So knowing those are the three qualities, what can you do to supercharge those three qualities? Mm -hmm. So in the book, we outline the three things, and and what I'll do is I'll walk you through an example of of how one company took these three things. But I I talk about this idea of, one, you need to create noticing power, which is about creating distinction, something that makes you stand out and and people take notice. Mm -hmm. The second is, um, I call it staying power. It's not just about relevance today, but it's about relevance both tomorrow, today, and in the future. And so this idea of creating timeless relevance and sticking around, so staying power. And the last, once you have great um, distinction from your noticing power and timeless relevance from your staying power, you want to create scaling power to create as much recognition as uh, recognition as possible. Gotcha. So it's those three powers that you're trying to focus on. Uh-huh. So when you think about somebody who does this well, I'll, I'll take one of the brands we all know and we all love, which is Nike. Mm-hmm. The Nike Air Max just celebrated its 31st anniversary. It's okay. been around for 31, 31 years. Right. A long time. Long time. So how how have they been able to do this? Well, first and foremost, they have a franchise that has great noticing power. Whenever you see an Air Max shoe, you automatically know it's an Air Max shoe because there's a bubble in the sole, right? right. There's that mm-hmm. air pocket. Right. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but the first iteration of this technology, which was really created by a guy named M. Frank Rudy, and he was a NASA engineer who actually right. developed the technology yes. to protect head uh, the, the head the astronaut's head from trauma by putting air pockets there. Gotcha. So he sold that technology to Nike to put it in the soil. Interesting. So first thing first, on notice power, you need a signature element, and they figured that was, for them, it was this idea of the air pocket. Mm-hmm. The next thing in order to create power is they needed to make sure that they married the old with the new. So in every iteration over the 31 years, they've always protected the air pocket, but they've always added three elements to keep it relevant and uh, around. First is added innovation. They kept innovating on that air pocket to make it bigger and bigger. Uh-huh. And then the second thing is they added brand new design to make it fresh and exciting and new. And lastly, they added great storytelling every single year to make the brand more meaningful and more relevant to people. Very, very cool stuff. Soon, you thanks so much for joining us tonight. It was great to have you, and I hope you join us again soon. Thank you so much, America. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.